Test one, two. Test one, two. Hey, I'm over here. Test one, two. Test one, two. See, you got it. Oh, that's, that's pretty it. sweet. And then I can combine them and export it as a, a monitor. Yep. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. So, that's a good jumping off point to build on your episode 2 last week. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm back. Welcome back. You. Um... So I enjoyed, while I was traveling last week, listening to your solo podcast, and your quick drop of the name Salamani piqued my interest in a specific topic I want to cover (laughs) this week. So yeah, let's jump right into it. Come on. That passage is often misquoted, (laughs) just like one of our founding fathers has misquoted a little bit of security over oh dang it of course i would forget what he said you're gonna misquote him yes i'm gonna (laughs) misquote him a little bit of security in place blah 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 blah. you know whatever we can tag it in at the end and we'll edit this out of course you won't edit it out (laughs) because that's wes's way (laughs) anyway that passage is misquoted all the time by people saying oh no matter what the authority is. It has been instituted by God. It is supposed to be respected. It is supposed to be followed. And it's one way some Christians and a lot of, I won't characterize it all as militant atheists, but a lot of people who argue against organized religion and specifically Christianity would use to say it's, that is a passage used to pacify us. It was, it was, conspiracy by the Romans to pacify Christians. Christians weren't in the first century church very approving of or very obedient to the Roman government. Yeah. <laughs> they preached the gospel even though they were told not to. They did a lot of things. They got them in trouble, a.k.a. Paul himself. So uh, from that perspective, it's going to be interesting to dive into how we should really look at Trump's now we know seven month standing order to kill yeah. Soleimani if he took American lives or was planning something that could take American lives. Well, it wasn't just a whim? Apparently not. Yep. And ironically enough, everyone said it was just a whim. He's going to get us into World War III with all this. World War III was what, less than a week long? And the world wasn't involved. Right. And so <laughs> even when the administration comes out, no, it was a standing order. It's been known for, I think it was seven months, that he wanted us to take out Soleimani if the opportunity, if Iran was going to be involved in something that was going to take American lives. So first it was, he's short-sighted, he's doing things on a whim, and now the reporting since that has come out is, 
Well, it makes us question his story. Which <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think my, my baseline view on this, and uh, I'll be interested to see how you uh, respond to both of these. I, I have two separate feelings on this. One, I think that the killing of Soleimani was unjust in that uh, there was no due process there, and there was no declaration of war and he was a casualty of that war. So when we think about the U.S. overseas and a sovereign nation taking out uh, an individual uh, without some form of due process, uh, I think that in and of itself is unjust. However, because of who Soleimani was, what he was involved with, and his, I think we can say more than alleged history with terrorist activities, it is not a bad thing that he is no longer alive. So I think this is one of those situations where God drew a straight blow with a crooked stick, if that makes sense. Okay. Building on that, how would we apply that from a biblical perspective? Because there were times where a militant opponent could not be brought to trial for civil activities. And by civil, I don't mean civil offense, like stealing money from somebody. I mean civil right. as in not war, wartime actions. Whether we had, in this, this, this opinion could be seen to contradict my episode one comment on us not filing articles of war, yeah, you know, proclamations of war against countries we've been at war with for practically since World War II, if you take the whole chain from Korea forward. Squirrel, going back to my point, <laughs> he was an opponent in war, right? He was, and there's a lot of contradiction to this point in the libertarian community, people claiming it's just propaganda, there's actually no evidence that Iran was involved with running or funding terrorist organizations in the Middle East. So if you start with the presupposition that everything we quote-unquote know about Soleimani's activities isn't proven, can't be proven, and is more than likely just propaganda, there is no alternative to it simply and purely being unrighteous, unjust, right? Right. If you don't start from that presupposition, I think it's a bit on the tinfoil hat conspiracy side of the libertarian community to claim that everything our country has ever stated is false until proven otherwise. Right. Because worldwide representative reporters and, you know, the, the Internet articles you see about it don't say who the reporters were there, but when Israel stole the Tehran documents last year. Mm -hmm. No, not last year. We're in 2020 now. In 2018, hey, close when they, uh, right? In 2018, when Israel's spy network stole the Tehran documents that go back all the way to the 80s and show that they were working on nuclear weapons, it was more extensive than anyone thought. They were farther along technologically than anyone thought. They had extensive and elaborate plans. There's evidence they put into motion to continue that research after the 2003 timeframe when they told the IAEA that they were shutting down their weapons research. 
to comply with the international sanctions against them for nuclear proliferation. The press saw it. The IAEA has confirmed its validity, right? It's not something just made up by Israel. So any conspiracy theory by the extreme wing of the libertarian organizations and belief system who claim that any claim that Iran was actually funding terrorism, that Soleimani was the guy in charge of the group, yeah. actively running the terrorist groups or guiding them or training them, and presume that he had absolutely nothing to do with anything the U.S. has accused him of, is just downright absurd. Well, see, I think this is where my, my first statement really helps me kind of step into this conversation. Because yeah. when you're talking about, as of yet, quote-unquote, unproven allegations, right? Because you have some people who are going to say, no matter what the U.S. says, it's all crap. You're going to have some people who say um, that it's all true. And then you're going to have some people in the middle that say there's some, some uh, bit that's true, some that's not. So with due process, you have the opportunity to bring the evidence, to make the case. Now, in a multi-country... Uh, so let me and, stop you right quick. Yeah, come on. How do we affect due process with someone like Soleimani and a combative regime like Iran's in today's world without giving away every means of human and technological intelligence that gathered all the information that we utilize. Well, I think, and um, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, that I'm more of an isolationist, so rather than a military presence, I don't want a diplomatic presence. So yep. I would agree my, with that. my initial uh, hope would be to say, look, we've got intel that he is directly involved in the killing of X number of American citizens. Mm -hmm. We want him to be extradited so that he can face a trial. Okay. And if that happens, then ideally the case is made and then the governments can work together potentially, ideally, again, to see who's going to administer the punishment. And if uh, there's sufficient reason to, in that case, if he's found guilty of killing these thousands of Americans, you know, the death penalty is certainly warranted. Yeah. So at that point, it's just a question of, Iran, are you going to do it or are we? If Iran... When was the last time, I would assume it would be the UN that is the governing body of that authority, not the U.S. Sure. When was the last time the UN actually convicted and punished someone for war crimes. I don't know that they ever have except maybe in the the wake of World War II in the in the early stages of the UN. It's not the Nazi like war. we haven't had plenty of cases where they should yeah. have. But I mean I, I, going back to what we've talked about before I think that shows the impotence of an organization like the UN because of countries with veto power. You know one country on the Security Council can veto and everybody else is shut out. Doesn't matter if the vote is... Yeah, one of the is, five permanent yeah. members of the Security Council can veto. And, and there's what, like 15, 15 total countries? 15 so one out of 15 can say no, and the other 14 
can say yes and, yeah. the, and the result is no. And That's not just either. And 65 years ago, those five countries with veto power were in you know, decent, friendly state with each other. Now, three of those are yeah. actively opposing each other. Well, and, and so let's say more realistic, right? We go to Iran. like American politics. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so let's say more realistic. We go to Iran and we say, look, this guy, we've got good intel that he's killed, I think the number's somewhere north of 2,000 uh, American citizens. Um, we want him to stand trial. And Iran says, no. Okay, well, you are now harboring somebody who we believe on good authority, and we haven't had a chance to make that case, somebody who's murdered our citizens. So now you, as a state who's protecting him, are now in the crosshairs. Um, Now, not to say military intervention is immediate. That's where you have economic sanctions. That's where you have things like that come in to put pressure on them because we don't want military conflict. We want to avoid that if at all possible, but we also want justice. So if we put the pressure on as, as much as we are able to, and, and at this point I'm not even thinking of allies, I'm not even thinking of a concerted effort through the UN or other Western nations. I'm talking about just US and Iran because everybody else can say, look, we're not a part of it, and legitimately you guys have the conflict, you resolve it. And if it gets to the point where there needs to be military action, well then at that point, we make it known, we, we believe this to be the case, we're coming for them. That's fair. It would break all kinds of sovereignty laws and could be considered an act of war. That last statement, we're, we're coming for him, right? Well, I Invading mean, someone else's country, even to get just a single person, much less someone with the kind of authority he had. He was number two authority in the country behind Ayatollah, some people say. Well, not, not in the beginning. Right. right. Not, not in right. the earlier stages yeah. of his activities. And so if we had the case, say, early on, and then Iran promotes him, well, then it's not us committing this uh, act against a sovereign nation um, unprovoked. They know what the situation is. So they know by promoting him up here the heat that they're bringing. Right. And And in that case... I I don't disagree, but at that point we get into the chicken and the egg of politics and diplomacy of, at one point, how many lives are worth the potential of going to war with a nuclear-capable power, right? And and that's fair. Um, And if, if our governing body decides that, you know what, it's not worth it, they have the authority to do so, right? Yep, that's fair enough. So we've, we've back and forth a little bit on the theory of what would be a more appropriate way to go about it. Let's look at what actually happened. They, there was a riot. It wasn't an all-out attack mm-hmm. like, the, uh, like the Benghazi attack several years ago where yeah. they stormed a small building and killed a four-person security detail plus one of our consulate personnel. Right. And, I mean, this camp is something like 110 acres. It's a small city. It has its own power source. 
has its own electrical mm -hmm. su either substation or generating plant. Uh, it's got several large buildings, subterranean areas apparently from what some reports say it took billions I forget what it was whether it was 1.2 1.9 2.9 billions of dollars to build this embassy in Iraq <laughs> right so well I wouldn't even it's consider not a small place where a riot could really do damage right yeah and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't compare Benghazi to the, the, the embassy. Oh, attack. I wasn't. I, that was not my implication. I'm just saying it is not a Benghazi where it's a small yeah. building. Right, right. Where you're drawing violent, contrast. Exactly. Where violent rioters actually went in and killed people. Mm -hmm. This is a small town where that's not possible. Right. So claiming that that event alone was justification for taking them out is objectively unsupportable. Right? Oh, sure. I agree. If there is evidence that he was planning other attacks, planning attacks that had occurred, and we just don't really know about them because it's dark ops or black ops people that he took out and knew about, whatever. You know, there's this whole government security, secrecy stuff where they're protecting assets, and they can't give away information mm -hmm. because they're giving away the information. They'll give away how they got the information or give right. away the identity of assets. Like Hillary's email server caused theoretically, because people would argue against this because she didn't intend to, Hillary's email service potentially con compromised. Compromised, thank you. Uh, went blank. <laughs> uh, compromised security assets for whether it's NSA, CIA, the yeah. DOD, and the actual military. Well, see, at that point, in other countries. intent is irrelevant. Right. Right. I mean, if, if you have somebody who is a medical professional and they take patients' medical files that are confidential under HIPAA to their car, and then they're robbed, and those medical records are stolen for whatever reason, that person is held accountable because for whatever reason, intent or not, there has been a compromise. There has been a violation of that oath, yeah, of that's that always, responsibility. That, that defense of Hillary Clinton has always cracked me up because... The law that she broke does not require intent to break the law for it to be felony crime. Exactly. There have been people convicted and going to jail for unintentionally breaking that same crime, but they didn't have the pool that Hillary Rodham Clinton had. So, anyway, that's that. You know, that's ancillary to the point. Is just something I brought up. It it's it's relevant, right? They they can't give away the data for the same reason, Hillary intentionally or accidentally giving away the data to China, to Russia, compromised assets. Right. So I don't expect to see the data that supports that he was involved with all these other things, like a lot in the libertarian community demand. I, that, you know, there's a realistic expectation, and then there's an idealistic expectation. Sure. As we talked about in episode one, I'm the realist. I, I don't deal in all the ideology. <laughs> I would love to have it, but I know it's an unrealistic expectation. I'm not wasting energy on that, right? Okay. My problem right now in the political climate we see in Washington is that there's so much political grandstanding. The Democrats will never admit if the intelligence 
supports Trump's position that it was a valid hit. Yeah. From, from standing governmental military operating procedure, right? We have already discussed and agreed that some of that is unconstitutional. All the wars we've been in since World War II. We right. haven't declared war on anybody since 1942. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when Obama took out bin Laden, right, the, the Republicans uh, in the House, not to say Republicans are perfect, but they supported it just as much as the American people did. Absolutely, they sure did. And with the 25 uh, declassified pages of the 9-11 report, <laughs> There's a whole lot of question in the air of how much he actually had to do with 9-11. And yeah. him and 9-11 and those attacks and the tie to Al-Qaeda and all that crap are the whole reason we went into the Middle East under Bush Jr. in the first place. Yeah. Now we, for, we, we ignore that Saudi Arabia, our bus buddy out there, funded and provided the personnel yeah. And go after them and Iran left and right. So also without yeah. a declaration of war. <laughs> also without a declaration of war. Oh, but it was. Oh, what was the conversation we had with KC week before last? It was not a declaration of war, but it was a. It's a military action. Military clock, a, a declaration for a military action. Yes. It was not a constitutional declaration of war, and when we pointed that out to KC, he had this. Shock and awe look on his face is kind of a funny moment. Yeah, yeah we're so, talking about you, Casey. Yeah, we are. Love you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> so from that perspective, you could argue nothing we have done out there is legal from our own standards, right? Because sure. everything builds on that. Leaving that aside, understanding we can't just bow out completely instantaneously, leave a power vacuum, potentially create centuries worth of war in the Middle East in the process, we have to now have some sort of diplomatic intervention with the mess we've made, with the people that are left in the mess we made. See, diplomacy. I'm yeah. glad we agree on this. Uh, yeah, so from that perspective, I don't think there's any disagreement with this. And you brought up a good point about Obama and taking out bin Laden. There's another guy he took out, and I can't pronounce his name, but is basically Libya's equivalent of Soleimani. Yeah. And that hit which the Democrats, there, there were a handful who spoke up against them because the true anti-wars, the handful of them have been consistent. The, the rest of them are opportunists like everyone in Washington is. Uh, but for the most part, the Democrats either turned a blind eye the way the Republicans have with Trump taking out Soleimani, or they openly approved of it, and it led to war in Libya. Yep. It was one of the five Gaddafi. wars Obama... No, 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 I'm not even talking about Gaddafi. Nope. Uh, no, yeah, Gaddafi was an unconstitutional action, too. Uh, but this guy's got like a five-word name, Alhim Halubahabaha. Uh, that's not his name. It's not even how close to it. But it was very sensitive of you. I know, whatever. It, it really, <laughs> it, it looks like it would be pronounced like that to me. Sorry, I don't speak Arabic. Sorry to derail you. Yeah, you so... Obama did the exact same thing Trump just did in Libya, and the Democrats were all for it. The, the rank-and-file yeah. public mostly didn't even know what was going on because the media protected Obama so much. Mm -hmm. The politicians either backed him on it when aggressively 
approach to have a stance, or they you know, brushed it off like, eh, whatever. And it led to war in Libya. Yeah. Are we out of Libya yet? Kind of. Well, see, and, and here is where, you know, my more idealist side comes out and, and, and looks at the underlying foundation. Right? We can look at Scripture and see uh, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament um, a requirement for equal scales, equal measures, for justice to be served, uh, to, to not use one standard for this case and another standard for the other, you know, in, in cases that potentially involve a death penalty or any type of monetary loss even. It's two or three witnesses, right? And, I mean, and that's, that's the standard that Jesus echoes for church discipline, right? It's consistency across the board. And when you abandon a consistent Christian worldview, when you abandon a biblical worldview, you're left with uh, establishing justice on your own terms. And uh, for politically focused people, your uh, opinion of justice is going to be what's politically expedient. So we're going to support it when our party guy does it. We're going to decry it when the other party guy does it. And so you see that applied standard beautifully. Like you say, when Obama did it, Democrats, thumbs up. When Trump does it, orange man bad. And Republicans, thumbs up. Yeah. Even though they were all against, uh, some were against his actions, actions in Libya, some were just neocon war hawks. And, and let's, let's take a moment to, to, to make sure that, that our listeners know we're not Republican water boys over here. We, we, we are not a fan of the Republicans in, in, any more than we're a fan of the, the Democrats uh, precisely because of uh, so many broken promises. Dichotomy and, of expediency. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so much. I mean, we saw it in 2016 with Trump's campaign. It's we can't have Hillary, so let's get this Trump guy. Now, now granted, he's been better than we expected. But in some areas. In, in, in some areas. But, you know, leading up to it, you had guys who, Christian leaders, who were destroying their witness by going head over heels for this guy, you know, for, for choosing party over um, character, over morality, over a consistent standard for what a political leader should be, precisely because in the political arena, it's a primarily two-party system. And rather than going with somebody who meets more moral requirements and is in opposition to some of the cultural and political issues that we have, we just went with, well, it's Hillary or Trump. By golly, it's Trump. <laughs> oh, that's but off, off of that soapbox. So backing up a step, what authority do we look at to determine whether Trump had the right, had the authority, should have gone after and taken out Soleimani? And one thing we should look at and consider when we're approaching the authority, the axioms, and the application that you discussed last week. I like the tie-in. Right. Is this group... Nope. Sorry, I'm conflating two different things. Uh, there was another attack a couple of days after Soleimani. Yep. Right? And I was about to tie in the fact that 
that group that Trump struck and he did a double tap strike. He struck and then when first responders came in to help oh, yeah. the, the survivors, they hit again, taking out more people. And the double tap is typically how you get the maximum number of civilian <clears throat> uh, casualties. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, collateral damage casualties. Yeah. I was trying to tie that in, but that's a whole other subject. Uh, let's talk about that one too, right? Okay. So a couple of days later, there's a drone strike. There's a group of terrorists who are hanging out. I think they were there for maybe even there for an event, whether it was a wedding or something else. They were all together in this group of two or three houses. And they had just recently attacked an Afghan forces group that we're partnered with. Okay. It's people we've been training. It's people who were trying to help build up a formalized government in Afghanistan. If that ever happens, I will be very surprised, but that's a whole other subject. <laughs> Afghan having its own self-sufficient government, that is. So this group, our partners in Afghanistan, right. were attacked by this terrorist group. They asked us to do something about it. So we drone strike the place, take out this group of 30-ish terrorists, also taking out between 40 and 60 quote-unquote civilians. Here's the thing, though. By definition, a terrorist is a civilian. They are not mm -hmm. a military enemy combatant. So You are correct. The local law officials, whether it's a mayor or whomever else was reporting this, was calling people civilians casualties, unintended casualties, or illegal casualties of this drone strike who may very well been part of that terrorist group, right? Because we can't discount that women and children were part of the organization because they have been bombing us in, along with all the men right. for the last 20 years. We're not going to get into whether they were justified in trying to run us out of their country or not because that's a whole other story, yeah. its own rabbit hole. So, But specifically this drone strike. Exactly. This drone strike of this group, the double tap, which is a style of attack that is known to have higher collateral damage casualties. And we did it. And we did it to take out this group of terrorists that our Afghan allies yeah. asked us to. So this attack of a senior general of a sovereign country who claims to have been there on political reasons, yep. you know, uh, dip, Diplomatic reasons yep. with the Iraqi government, even though we supposedly have evidence that he was there supervising, directing an organization to run attacks on us and our allies in Iraq. Uh, if we look at it from a humanistic perspective, is there an authority constitutionally for us to have taken those attacks? I don't well, know because I don't have the evidence. Well, see, right? I, I think it's interesting that when you're asking for an authority, you insert constitutionally. So you've already tried to put an authority there. So from a humanistic perspective, right? Right. Someone who does not believe in the law of God, what other authority do we have other than international law, international treaty, the Constitution, U.S. code law, right? 
they don't yeah. accept the law that we do. So I'm starting from a humanistic perspective so that those who may be listening but don't agree that God's law is sovereign over anything else we may consider. Yeah. What legal authority did they have? If the evidence actually exists that Soleimani was involved in this attack and people could have died or he was planning other attacks like it where people, Americans, could have died mm -hmm. or would have died, I don't necessarily know that it wouldn't be covered constitutionally. Me personally, as a non-interventionist libertarian, I say it's not our authority to do that in another state, state with a capital S, another country. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that the, the founding fathers in general leaned isolationist. Maybe not purely. Some of them did, some of them did not. Yeah, so when it comes to that, um, to answer your question from a humanistic standpoint, I think the Constitution is the closest thing you have to an authority. It's man's authority, right? And so we have leaders who were put in place, their structure is the Constitution. And so from there, that is what would determine quote unquote right and wrong. Now, given the time period in which the Constitution was written, versus where we are now, um, there are gray areas. There are elements of today's warfare that were not considerations, you know, 250 years ago. So... You mean they didn't have nukes in 1776? No. 1791? No. Huh. Oh, man, the Revolutionary it's War amazing. would have been so much different. <laughs> Dude, for real, it had never gotten started. Yeah, but uh, in, in that case, for example, um, you have differing thoughts on how to read the Constitution, right? We see that with Supreme Court's uh, decisions all the time. Living document. Yeah, you have the limit, living document doctrine. Hashtag eye roll. Uh, yeah, from, uh, was it Wilson, who, who was kind of the, the main guy, or at least the figurehead for that movement. And you've got the more strict constructionist view. So it's, it's sort of like uh, to... to draw a theological tie-in, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the RPW guys, right? If, if the Bible doesn't say this is what we do in worship, we don't do it. And you have others who say, well, if it doesn't prohibit it, then it's okay. So you have people who are looking at the Constitution. That welfare clause, baby. <laughs> yeah. That welfare clause. Yeah, so you're looking at uh, the Constitution. Some are going to look at the penumbras of the Constitution, right? The, 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 the blank spaces there and filling in the gaps with whatever they believe it to be. Others are going to say, look, there are specific powers that are outlined, and if it's not consistent with these, then it's not constitutional. And even from that standpoint, you don't have a, a consensus. And I think even that shows the impotence of the Constitution without an undergirding cultural understanding of a biblical worldview. I mean, that's what the Constitution came out of. Are you saying even the Constitution supports moral relativism from a humanistic perspective, or I, vice versa? I think anything absent the Word of God is going to lead <laughs> to moral relativism, whether it's the U.S. Constitution, whether Touché, it's the U.N. Sorry, Charter. Touché. All right, so let's let's look at it from a biblical biblical <laughs> easy for you to say a biblical perspective. All right, you you have already established, and I would agree with you that it was unjustly accomplished. 
Right. There, there was no attempt in the 30, 40 year history of his involvement with terrorism, if reports from our government are to be believed, to extradite him for criminal, civil criminal prosecution right. versus military war crime prosecution. So, and we didn't talk about it much, but a military like war tribunal may have been a valid option as well. I'm I'm not sure specifically how that worked. Yeah, the the civil courts, civil criminal courts, the civilian, let's call it that. Yeah. So it makes more sense. The civilian criminal courts didn't even really hold consistently to that with the enemy combatants from Iraq and Afghanistan that we hung out in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay, for a couple of decades right. now. So I don't know that there would have been any precedent to have a war tribunal because we haven't been at war with Iran, right? We would have had to have declared war and then him do something like that for us to have that authority. I don't think there's any valid support for that in our law. So, mm. yes, something to consider, but yeah. that would have had to have gone to an international court of human rights or Possibly, the UN yeah. or something like that. We, nothing I know of would have given us the authority to do that. So it would have had to have been civilian criminal. And then you get into, well, is he covered by our civilian criminal law because none of it happened, none of it happened in the U.S., it was all military or anti-U.S. military action in other countries where American civilians died. So, so that's where I would our say... Our laws don't out apply. Our legal system doesn't apply to other countries. I, I, I would say if we like are conducting the trial, if we're conducting the judicial process, then um, our laws most certainly apply and the rights that we recognize for our citizens apply to them as well, which would include the right to due process. Yes, yeah, so the, the constitutional rights for that person and for interaction yeah. between that person and our government absolutely apply. I, I would not say otherwise. I, I hope that's not how what I just said came across. I was just saying I don't think our court system has authority over him for a civilian murder trial mm. when it happened in other countries, right? Those countries' uh, court systems would have to have that authority. I'd be interested possible. to see if there's any precedent. It could be for, a federal court. Right. I would have to, I would be interested to see if anybody, and if you, if anyone listening knows of any precedent for this, please tag it in the comment section. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so Who? starting that, that whole 10-minute spiel, morally, he didn't have our constitutional due process for right. someone accused of murder. We just took him out because we felt like it. Uh, so there wasn't even a biblical justice carried out. There was exactly. not two or three witnesses exactly. that came forth. It was, not a it was not a morally just, and I say due process talking in American legalistic terms, but right. I do mean biblically, right? There was, there was no due process. The biblical due process would be two or three witnesses attesting. Right in the court based on scriptural... In a court proceeding. Exactly. So initially that would not give us the right. Now, if we were at war 
would it be different? Would what be different? Taking them out? Yeah. I think so, because at that point, you're talking about the military leader of a nation that we are currently at war with. That's where we get back into the Romans passage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in... Tying it all back together. In the civilian interaction, we are not at war with Iran. We have never been formally at war with Iran. Mm -hmm. We have no military authority to take out one of their people, a, a senior leader of their government, as a terrorist. Well, there, there's long-standing precedent, even before the Patriot Act and before the powers Congress gave Bush that passed on to Obama, that have passed on to Trump, to to fight terrorism as if it was an enemy combatant in war. Yeah. Even before all that, there was precedent for taking out someone who was actively causing damage to us, America, whether it be an embassy on foreign soil, whether it be someone planning attack on American soil, right? Uh, okay, so if he was Central in the South process American, of doing that, then yes, right. that would have been just cause. But right. outside of Generally, that, no. Popping past, in at the airport, past, yeah. no. For past events he's done, no. So... If we were at war, you say yes, we would have the authority I think it's, to take I think them it's out. different. Okay. Um, now, as far as would we have the authority to take him out, I think it depends on the situation as well. Right. Um, now, I think just, and this is me thinking out loud, so I haven't um, had time to process this except just since the time you asked the question. Um, so if we're at war with Iran and their top military general is in the process of planning an attack, right? And we get advanced notice of it, and he is moving into position so that he can coordinate this attack. By all means, he's an enemy combatant on the battlefield. Boom. Yes, we have the authority to do that. I mean, it happens. It happened all the time in actual wars that were declared. Right, exactly. It's a... Prior to the two world wars, right? Right. It was happening from the beginning of our country forward and historically throughout history forward, same way. So that said, with Iran not being a formalized enemy we are in a state of war against, what would the requirement be for us to have scripturally foundation, right? Mm -hmm. Building off of biblical morals, applying those biblical morals and objective truths to constitutionalism, mm-hmm. to international treaty law, uh, to, to the world human rights court law. Right. At what point would we have the authority to take him out considering Iran is not in, realist, in the reality we live in or theoretically I'm glad you asked. opponent in war? So... The, the just war tradition, from a biblical perspective, sees war primarily as defensive. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the main building block in here. Um, as far as a guy like Soleimani is concerned, there are preemptive measures that we can take. So, for example, uh, when it comes to embassies, fortifying the embassies that we have overseas, 
if we choose to have an embassy there so that if there's an attack, we can respond without having to send an influx of additional troops for an extended combat or for post-combat uh, situations. Um, also, we can say that the situation, whether it's political, uh, whether it's terrorist activity, whatever the case is, is unsafe for our people. So in a defensive posture to protect human life, we will not have an embassy here until we have enough assurance that one, it is safe enough, and two, that we'll be able to defend it uh, in a particular way. Like you said, if, if Soleimani's in the process of attacking an embassy, we can take him out then. Um, so Soleimani wasn't in the crowd rioting against the, the location. Right. Or nor would he have been in the crowd, whether it was civilians with sticks or well, the terrorists like that operate like cult yeah. leaders, right? They, they have means exactly. to do their dirty work exactly. for them. So is it, take, is it cutting off the head of the snake kind of situation? Mm. Do, do we still have that authority if he's not in the crowd, but we know he's organizing, running, funding all of it? Yeah, I, w without due process, I, I still say no. Um, and, and I think this whole... So let's, wide, let's widen the net there, though. Oh, boy. All right. Setting aside we were actually in a state of war against Germany, that same kind of thought process would potentially go for Hitler. He killed, personally, very few people in World War II. Mm -hmm. He, was he also killed leader. himself. Yeah. We didn't drone strike him. Right. That's true. <laughs> if, if, if the government's to be believed and he's not living out his days in Cuba. <laughs> or Argentina. Or Argentina. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, those conspiracies crack me up. Yeah. Um, so, whether it's in war or out of war, I think the leader is as fair game as the guy on the ground's doing it, right? If, well, you If would. you can tie taking him out as actively ending the threat, right? The, well, I if, mean, it's... If, if cutting off the head of the snake, Soleimani in this case, if Soleimani was actively directing, he had the funds, they were going to do the attack and then go get the funds from him. He had a bag full of Syrian cash with him when he blew up. Mm -hmm. A notepad and a bag full of cash. He was going to do something and give cash right. out, right? So if something was occurring or in the plans to occur and he was not actively there, I think the same thing applies whether he's there or not. Yeah, well, so... If it applies to him at all. So, so if you're going to bring up the World War II example, we, we have to look at the failure of the European governments to hold Germany to the standard that they set. Now, granted, Versailles Treaty was awful for Germany. It was overly oh, punitive yeah, World to War, begin with. World War II was going to happen from the moment the treaty that ended World War right. I was signed. Yeah. But when you have provisions that say, don't invade other countries, as soon as he steps foot in Poland, the neighboring countries there who are involved with that should hold Germany to account and say, no, this will not stand. And they didn't. Right. And, and now there's different reasons for that. Um, but a, the, part of the reason why Hitler was such a problem in Europe is that the European governments who were in a position and had the authority to do something 
did not exercise that authority until until Germany had already built up and positioned itself to nullify their actions mm-hmm. in, in large part. And, um, you know, quite frankly, um, just speaking for me, uh, the, the views uh, expressed here do not necessarily represent those of uh, both hosts on uh, the AppCast. Um, <laughs> since Japan was the only nation that actively attacked us, um, I don't think it would have been out of bounds for us to declare war on Japan in that war. And if Hitler had marched across Europe, we would have been just to stand back. And, and, and but would we have been biblically, morally justified to allow that to happen? Um, considering that Hitler didn't actually launch any attacks on U.S. personnel? Yes, but we were allied. See, and that, that's when you get support in, treaties. When you get those treaties that entangle you into foreign conflicts, you're setting yourself up for that. And that's fair. Uh, but I, I, if we're, I don't if, think it's a, bibli- a biblical situation. A, if we're starting from a Christian morals perspective, mm-hmm. the 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 moral law written on the hearts of all men, okay. building off of that onto the New Testament scripture, especially that passage from Paul we read out you read out at the top of the yep. show the authority is handed to the government to mete out justice mm-hmm. our government has the constitutional authority to make legal constitutional treaties there is a I don't a, think that the UN really counts or how the UN and they, NATO use us for the world's police count but there yeah, are no. treaties uh, mutual trade, mutual defense treaties that are fully within the scope of constitutional authority of our government to adhere to, right? I, I don't disagree so, with that. What I would say is from a biblical perspective, um, every authority has limited authority. And a okay. government's sphere of authority, its sphere of sovereignty, is limited to its people. Okay. And that gets back into the just war theory being more defensive. Mm-hmm. So if, if the U.S. is being biblical in its approach to war, Japan attacks us, we respond. Mm-hmm. And our war effort is with Japan, the country that attacked us. And we did initially just yeah. attack Japan, right? It, it, we, yeah. We had but what brought us into World War II was all, the, yeah, was all these uh, entanglements, yeah. uh, which, is, which is why to say... To, to ask the question, would the U.S. have have been biblically consistent with justice in letting Hitler march across Western Europe, um, so long as he did not attack the U.S., I would say yes, because the U.S. government does not have authority over the affairs of France, of England, of Spain, of Portugal, of Poland, Czechoslovakia, right? I don't know that I could agree with that, though. Because it does have the authority for treaties. And those treaties do apply military action in defense of America and America's interests, right? Yeah. America's interests could include the survival of our allies around the world if they are being overwhelmed and they ask us for support. I think it's perfectly within the scope 
of biblical moral standards and is within the Constitution for us to involve ourselves. Now, here's the thing. There was not the political will for us to get involved in World War II, which is why we didn't enter it actively before Pearl Harbor, which is right. where you get all the conspiracy theories that he let it happen. He knew it was he knew there was going to be an attack. He let it happen. Yeah. He didn't necessarily know the scope of it or that it was going to be the bombing of Pearl Harbor, but he stoked the fires with Japan, let it happen so that we could declare into World War II, right? So it's all political theater no matter how you look at it. But I don't know that I would agree that we don't have the biblical moral authority or the constitutional foundation to have been involved in the first place. Yeah, and so just let Hitler run roughshod over the world. Well, so, so the two things there. One, I wasn't taking into consideration the, the, the treaties and, right. and alliances, uh, and, and it's precisely those alliances which led to the two world wars because you had these interlocking um, interests. Uh, but also, um, I forgot the other point I was going to make. Yeah, the humanistic side of those treaties always comes back oh, to bite us. Um, that idea of the authority to make treaties and when you make a treaty with uh, another political organization, defending them becomes not, not only um, a, a right but a responsibility uh, of your government is precisely how we get to the point where we're NATO and UN's police force all over the world. Yeah, see, I, w I would limit that authority to still being restricted to constitutionally declaring war for us to enter it, right? I, mean, I would say that no treaty, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that our treaties with NATO and UN, as they are applied, force us to be the world's police without yeah. declarations of war, right? But what I am saying is that I think we, sh we would and could and should still have the authority to enter those treaties with foreign governments if war is still declared, right? We can't have a treaty that overrides the constitutional necessity for war being declared for us to militaristically involve ourselves in actions outside of the confines of our country without having first been attacked mm -hmm. by the people we're responding to. So I think the mutual defense can have authority if held within the bounds of the constitutional requirement for declaration of war. Yeah. How yeah. we apply it since World War II with NATO and the UN using our military, using our funding, using the whole military-industrial complex as its world police, no, absolutely not. They're, they're, yeah, but how, from, that from an overrides the Constitution. Yeah, right? so when, when you get to that point and you say, well, our allies have interest over here, therefore we have interest over here, so a military presence is necessary to protect, so you can still use that just war defensive idea to yeah, say... Yeah, I see where you're going. The military All I'm saying there is, uh, and I see where you're going, and I, I don't necessarily disagree. I'm just saying, if we, if they ask for our help, let's take World War II, for example. Right. If they ask for our help, and we declare war against a country, because our treated partner is being attacked, not us personally, but our mm -hmm. treated partner is being attacked, and they asked us for help to defend themselves against this invader... I still see constitutional authority for that if we declare war. The way we go to war under the UN and NATO treaties, right. absolutely not. 
Uh, I, I got you. Proactively and, go without first being attacked. The yeah. United States first being attacked, then we go to war. So, so I don't see, agree that we have to have that prerequisite. Yeah, so, so you see my isolationist tendencies because I don't like how uh, the principles can be used the way that they are. Yeah. So I kind of swing the other way and That's go, fair. you know what, just chill out, which is why I'm not opposed to um, withdrawing um, all the defense spending for these socialist countries. Oh, please, for the love. Even, even with my interpretation of our constitutional and scriptural moral right, if not moral obligation, at least moral right to declare and host war against people who have not first attacked us, I, I am as non-interventionist as they get in as much as I want us out of the world stage, right? Yep. Bring all of our military home. We don't need 50 bases surrounding Iran. We don't need bases in every country, major country in the world. We don't need multi-billion dollar aircraft carrier groups circling the globe constantly. Heck, that's a whole other rabbit hole. We've got three aircraft carrier in dry dock with no end in sight yep. to either being initially commissioned or refit. Yeah, so I don't necessarily disagree there. I just, I see where, where I think we separate is that you, in your mind, need us to first be attacked by a foreign entity before we have the right morally, constitutionally to respond. Generally speaking, yes. I see those treaties that are within the bounds of the Constitution that we have agreed we will support them, they will support us, they ask for that support after being attacked. We get the authority from Congress and the executive branch. We declare war. Whoever the POTUS is signs it, sends the people over there, we defend them. Yep. With, with a specified end, right? Yep. That, that, that constitutional war authority also includes specifics of what the mission is and what the end goal is. So as long as we've got that, I think we're good. Taking out Soleimani doesn't count. Yeah, so I, I think we've got a good place to land. Uh, I think we've had some good conversation around it. Um, got a lot of brand new likes. We're going to read as the <laughs> new... Oh, boy. That's uh, all on you, brother. Yeah, as, as the uh, outro music comes in. First, though, we started with um, a, a verse regarding uh, our view towards... The government, let's close by going a few verses back in Romans 12 uh, for some individual exhortations. Uh, starting in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't kill Soleimani. <laughs> Soleimani didn't kill himself. All right. <laughs> Epstein so says Soleimani didn't kill himself. <laughs> That's right. All right, so I'm going to read these out. Uh, since I've got help here, if you want to throw some commentary as, you, as I go, feel free. But I'm going to go as quickly as I can because we've got a ton. Thanks again for all the love. We appreciate it all. Feel free to uh, go to uh, our page, Apt Podcast uh, on Facebook, Appcast on Facebook. Uh, throw a like, subscribe through your favorite podcast catcher. 
Uh, but here we go. Rennell Goodwin, Jacob Hollingsworth, Mike Gilliam, Buddy Millender, Elizabeth Lewis, Blake Hood, Deborah Smith, Adam Willicott, Samuel Pace, Brian Peoples, Ben Wehunt, Charles Pittman, Christopher Adams, Rachel Tucker, Boo Boo Battis, Jason Lancaster, Michael DeStefano, Jason, Josh Atkins, sorry about that, Josh, Corey Mott, Alex Millender finally liked it, Clint Duggar, Rebecca Johnston, Chuck Burnett, Rachel Thomas, Glenn Sandifer, Michelle Jones, Diane Scott, Pappy Lancaster, Amy Reagan, Kristen Heath, Graham Finch, Jesse Ludy, Jonathan and Kristen Holloway, Allison Reeves, Prosperity Maid, that is the name for you, I love that name, Logan Mott, Jackie Kennedy II, Charlie Baker, Keith Doss, Nicole Byram, John Metcalf, Patrick Lohman, Tamika Moore, Casey Ray, John McLeod, Preston McCombs, Danny Sherbank, April Poole, Kay Crystal, Scott Burton, Linda Bass, John Pocopone, Jeff Wisenhunt, Stephen Hill, Mary Sutton, Sandra Rollette, Stacey Alfano, Kurt Thompson, Laura Wynn, Frank, Frankie Carpenter, sorry Frankie, Michael Williams, Mike Jennings, Michael Bookout, Leanne Jackson, Logan Dixon, John Powell, what's up John, Jeremy Morris, Joey Valentine, Nestor Fernandez, Brittany Burden, oh, I'm going to mess this one up, I apologize, Auxilia Jenkins, AJ, Stephen Stewart, Susan Owen, David Pendergrass, Josh Bierman, Joseph Coleman, uh, Colvin, sorry, Jessica Rowland, Ashley Rich, Brenda Eubanks, Margaret Abernathy, Debbie Roberts, Steve Parr, Janice Hall, Laura Yates, Justin Fuller, Matt Watson, and Ryan Massey. Thank you all for the love, and until next time, we are Wes and Alex, and this is the Upcast. <laughs>